there is a story of a minister who uh, got a new job at a small rural church. And he was excited for the first Sunday to come to preach to his congregation. And so he showed up early and he was all ready. And he was a little disappointed when only one farmer showed up. But then he thought, you know, I've been called to preach to whoever God brings. And so I'm going to preach. And he preached like he never preached before. I mean, he gave this farmer the whole of the Bible. And at the end, he went to the door to greet the farmer as he left. And as he came up to the door, he, he wasn't sure if he asked the question, but he said, you know, what did you think of the sermon? And the farmer paused for a moment and, he's, and he said, you know, when my animals come for feeding time, I don't give them all the food. I only give them a little portion of it. I think you need to cut back on your portions. <laughs> so with that in mind... We have come to chapter 24 in the story. And we, there is, if you read the chapter, it is a big chapter. There is a lot in it. And if I covered everything in this chapter, we'd be here for a couple of hours, and you'd probably say to me as you went out, Pastor, you need to cut down on your portions. So I am. I'm cutting down. This week, we're going to talk about the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And then next week, we're going to talk about the parable of the sower. So if you read it this week, I encourage you to read it again next week as we prepare for chapter 24 as well, and, and cover that a little bit more. So anyway, um, we start with the Beatitudes. And Jesus starts out in the Beatitudes, each phrase he starts out with the word, blessed are. Now it's interesting because as you read through, or if you were th uh, thinking through as Dennis was reading the Beatitudes, you, you hear this, and, and you might think, how, how are those blessed, right? Those who mourn, those who are persecuted, those who are poor in spirit, and you go through this list and you're like, I don't necessarily see the blessings that come from this, Jesus. Your teaching and your words, I don't know. I, I kind of am confused by this. And so the wonderful thing we're going to do as we talk about the Beatitudes is to look at this list of Beatitudes, this list of blessed are, and see why we are blessed in these attitudes, these characteristics that Jesus talks about. And so we're going to talk about what does it mean to be blessed. The, word, the Greek word for blessed is uh, makarios, and it's an adjective that describes a characteristic of being blessed. If you look in the dictionary, you'll see that the dictionary says that uh, being blessed is enjoying happiness or contentment. And what Jesus is telling us here is that if you want your life to be blessed, if you want to be blessed by God, then you need to have these characteristics in your life. As we act according to these verses, God will act for our good. So as we look at the Beatitudes, we see first that, that Matthew uses the language that alludes to the Old Testament hope of the Messiah. This is what is going on behind the thought here. It's prophesied in Isaiah 61, 1-3, that Jesus was coming, or the Messiah was coming, for the afflicted, for the brokenhearted, for the captives, for the prisoners, for those who mourn. The Messiah was coming for these people who were outcasts, who were not cared for in the way that they should have been cared for, supported, uplifted, and Jesus ultimately was the Messiah. At the time in the Old Testament, they didn't know that it was going to be Jesus. 
but the hope of the Messiah coming for those who needed, who knew they needed a Messiah. Here's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of hope Jesus is saying. If you want a blessing, then look to me. A second observation is that the first beatitude and the last beatitude frame the rest of the beatitudes in talking about the receiving of the kingdom of heaven. Here again is where hope lies. To follow Jesus in his teaching will minister into you a great hope and a great blessing as we receive Jesus, who has brought the kingdom of heaven with him. And third, the promise of the first and the last blessings are in the present tense, while the six blessings in between are in the future tense. Now, this is very important because Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My coming here to this earth has brought the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is available to all who come to Jesus. But at the same time, the unfolding of God's promises also go into the future. You know, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're going to have an event that happens or a trip that you're really excited about, sometimes the anticipation of that trip, that event, is almost as fun or as meaningful as the trip itself. And sometimes you go through the event or you go through the trip and it wasn't even that much better than the anticipation. Not that it wasn't good, but that anticipation. Sometimes you're so excited about something coming that there's so much enjoyment, so much excitement, right? And that's kind of what's going on here, is that we have the, the kingdom of God is at hand now, but there are future promises that God has promised to us that we are anticipating, and it is so exciting that we just can't wait to experience them, right? But in the time being now, we have excitement and joy in that anticipation of what God promises to us. You know, even yesterday as we talked about my, my mom's death and, and her eternal life, right? There's, there's probably many of us who, who have this great anticipation to that eternal life that God has for us, right? Yes, I'm going to try to do my best on this earth. I'm going to try to enjoy my life here. But, but I am anticipating, I'm excited about the eternal life that I have in Christ. The life in heaven that I have forever with God in God's presence and in the presence of love. That anticipation is wonderful. This is true here. The promises of God, which are in the future, are exciting as we anticipate them. I came across this prayer the other day, and I thought it was quite fitting um, for what we're talking about here this morning. It says, Heavenly Father, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. Isn't that true? It's kind of like as we come to these Beatitudes, we're saying, okay, God, you know, I really, I'm going to get out of bed here in a few minutes, and I really need your help for this day. I really need your help. I really need your blessings in this day. I really need to draw upon you. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you, living out the Beatitudes will help you to do that. See, we must humble ourselves and say that we need Jesus, we need his help, we need his blessings in our life for us to experience the fullness of the life that God has created us for. So this idea of blessed are coming into our lives really stems from following 
Jesus as he lays down his life for us and wants us to lay down our lives in him. So he starts off with the words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the word used for poor here refers to complete bankruptcy, meaning that the poor in spirit are those who realize they can't do it on their own. They're completely bankrupt. They just empty themselves and say, God, I need you. Fulfill me. I'm going to empty myself to you so that you can fill me and that I can be the person that you want me to be. When I uh, met my wife, and many of you know that she was a professional golfer for a while, and my golf game really needed help. And so I remember that she taught me how to play better. But the problem with that is that I was in, I think I was almost 30 at that time. And you know when you've been playing for a long time, what happens? You have a lot of bad habits, right? And it's really hard to break those bad habits. So she taught me what to do, but that doesn't mean I could do it. Because a lot of times in the pressure of my playing, I went back to my bad habits, to my bad playing, right? And so that's what we have to do. We have to empty ourselves of all of our bad habits, all of our, our bad desires, right? All of our sinfulness, and we have to empty ourselves. We have to be poor in spirit and say, God, then you need to pour into me what I need. See, people who are poor in spirit are the ones who experience God's kingdom here on earth. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. We all have had or will have had, will have times when we mourn. And oftentimes the mourning comes from some kind of a loss, right? We usually mourn when we have a loss. Maybe a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or or something that we lose, we, we mourn that loss. See, God the Father knows about loss, doesn't he? God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. So there was a time there where Jesus died, and his son died, and he had a loss, right? There was a, a moment of experiencing that loss. If you can only imagine the loss of a child, how how difficult that would be. God knows what it means to have loss, what it means to mourn. And God says, when you mourn and you come to me, I will bless you in that time of mourning. You may know the, the poem, Footprints. And at the end of that poem, there's a wonderful line where Jesus says, it was in your greatest time of need that I carried you. Blessed are those who mourn. God will carry us. But he continues, blessed are the meek. Now, meek oftentimes is understood as shyness, but Jesus is not saying blessed are the shy, right? He's not saying that. He's saying that meekness really means about freeing yourself up so that you don't have to have your own way. Freeing yourself up so that you can seek out God's way and rejoice in living the way God wants you to live. When you are meek, you receive what God has for you instead of taking your, your stubborn way and saying, no, I want what I want. Like a two-year-old, right? <laughs> that just is like determined to get what they want, right? And doesn't want to listen to anything else. But the meek says, no, God, I know you love me and I know you have great things for me. And we humble ourselves before the Lord and we receive what God has us. See, when we're meek, we will find great meaning in our life and in our accomplishments 
because we are unselfish in the way we live, and God blesses that greatly in what we do. Then, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this phrase, hunger and thirst, refers to having a deep passion, the passion which drives people to want what God wants, right? To have a heart like God. When we have a heart like God, we desire what God desires. And God totally wants to bless that desire when our desires are the same as God's desires. We will have a desire to do what is right, to seek justice, to help others, to share the love of Jesus. And when we do this, we will feel complete in our lives because we will be living as God designed us to live. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God, the character that God desires to put ourselves in a place to be blessed by God, we have to show mercy. We have to have compassionate hearts. So often our reactions to negative situations or to negative people is judgment and anger and criticism. Or maybe we respond with righteous indignation. Yet to live as Jesus calls us to live means that we need to to love unconditionally and become people who know how to forgive. See, there's no blessing found in anger and judgment. The ones who extend mercy are the ones who will receive mercy from God. Then Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This speaks of the state of our heart To be pure in heart is not just to live an outwardly good life. It's it's to be pure in our inner being, in our desires. What we desire, we seek to be pure as well. To be singly devoted to God. Nothing else is important to us than to please God and to do God's will. That is the pure in heart. To be pure in heart means that you are willing to remove any barrier in your life that keeps you from God. You're willing to shed all sins so that you might find God. And the promise of God is when you do that, you will see God. Beautiful promise to that. Why do you think some people are so much more able to know God's will? Why do you think some people have a a greater sense of purpose in their life? Why do you think that some people are so strong in their faith? It's because they seek God with all of their heart all of their desires. That is their sole purpose. And so therefore they see God and they hear God more clearly than others. If you struggle, you say, well, I don't, I don't always see God. I don't always hear God. I... Be pure in heart. Make that your sole desire of your life. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So many people think that just because you are born, you become a child of God. But that is far from the truth. Jesus gave us this important understanding. And read the underlying part with me. Jesus says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Who are the children of God? Those who receive Jesus. Those who believe in the name of Jesus. Those who have received Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Those are the children of God. Remember, we talked about um, Jesus coming and Nicodemus coming and Jesus saying, you need to be born again. Born first, you're born first physically, but then you need to be born in spirit. You need to receive Jesus so that your spirit becomes connected with God's spirit. And then you become children of God. 
And as children of God, we are called to be peacemakers. We are to bring peace, to reconcile people to God, right? Some people are at odds with God, and when we bring people to, to God through Jesus, then we reconcile them to God. We're being a peacemaker. Or when we have conflict in our life, are we seeking to get our own way? Or are we seeking to be peacemakers in that relationship and humble ourselves and seek reconciliation in that conflict? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become children of God. All Christians have the calling to be peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, if you listen to my teachings, if you start to follow my teachings, if you live the way that I'm calling you to live, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be at odds with the world. The world is going to look at you and not like you because you are at odds with the world because they are at odds with God. You will be going against the flow of society. You will face opposition and hostility as Christians seek to speak the truth. They are ridiculed and mocked and persecuted. Maybe not in the same ways as some other Christians in other nations are persecuted, but we are persecuted just the same, and the persecution is getting worse because we're getting farther and farther away from what the world teaches. People look at us and they call us narrow-minded and unloving and uncaring. They've taken the Ten Commandments out of the courts and Bibles out of school libraries and prayer out of school. Because they don't want, they don't want Christianity messing up their thinking. Right? And so whenever we try to speak the truth, we are looked down upon and we are persecuted. Jesus gives us this thinking that we are blessed in this because we experience the presence, the power, the love, the kingdom of God here on earth when we live in this way. So we have to decide, do I want the world's love or do I want God's love? Because we're getting to that place where you can't have both. See, it's not about what is easy. It's about what is best. There's a wonderful poem called, And God Said No, and it says this, I asked God to take away my pride. And God said, no. He said it was not for him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said, no. He said her spirit was whole. Her body was only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said, no. He said, patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted, it is earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said no. He said, he gives me blessings, happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said no. He said, suffering draws you to me, apart from worldly cares, and closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow, and he said no. He said, I must grow on my own. He will prune to make me fruitful, but I must grow on my own. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and God said, no. He said, I will give you life that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me, and God said, ah, now finally you understand. 
See, the list of Beatitudes helps us see what's best and what our character should be and encourages us to, to really follow these teachings so that we might truly be blessed. We put ourselves in a place where we can be blessed by God. And so I hope that maybe you make a list of these Beatitudes and you list them somewhere or you put them somewhere, you put them in your phone or you put them on your mirror or whatever so that you see these Beatitudes and you remember how God wants us to live, the characteristics that God wants us to have in our hearts. But then we go on to the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is well known, right? In fact, we'll pray it at the end when we pray. And we pray it uh, often, right? Maybe we should pray it more often. little note to our lay leaders, right? Every once in a while, we should be throwing in the Lord's Prayer in our prayers at the end. Tertullian, a wonderful church father back in the first century, remarked in this way about the Lord's Prayer. He said, the Lord's Prayer is the epitome of the entire gospel. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, the Lord's Prayer is the highest, noblest, and best prayer. All other prayers shall be suspect that do not have or contain the content and meaning of this prayer. See, this prayer is full of power and grandeur, and it comes to us from Jesus as a prime example of how to pray. It is a model, a pattern of prayer. And so first we must understand that the Lord's Prayer is a personal prayer. I mean, Jesus says when you start, pray our Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants us to know that we are to pray to God in a personal way. Now this word Father comes from the Aramaic word Abba, which is translated also as Daddy. It is a very loving and personal way to start. We are praying to God in a very connectional way. Like we would go to our parents who we love and adore and we would talk with them, ask them for something. God is not someone who can't be reached. God is someone who's very close and wants us to be close to him. But along with our prayers being personal, this opening our Father also helps us to understand where our focus is to be. Our focus is to be on God, not on us. All our focus in our prayer should be on God. You've probably heard the, the acronym ACTS, right? Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. What's so wonderful about that is you do adoration, you adore God, you confess, then you give thanks to God for who He is and the many things He's done, and then it's after all of that, then you ask for your request. You, the supplication is asking for things, right? but you have a different heart, a different frame of mind before you get to the supplication. We need to come to God and understand that our prayers are directed to God, to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in praying this way, we're reminded that the focus is not on, on ourselves, but on, our, on God, to whom we pray, who is in heaven, whose name is Hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. And then he goes on, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is really a characteristic of the whole of the New Testament. The kingdom of God, as we talked about before, was central to the message of Jesus. When Jesus first appeared on this scene, he, it is said he came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. It actually has three meanings. It has past meaning, a present meaning, and a future meaning. See, the, the past... We see the kingdom of God existing in those church fathers, right? The Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? The, the, the kingdom of God resided in the prophets. 
And so as we think about the kingdom of God, we think about the past and all those who have been a part of it. But it also has present meaning for Jesus. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. When he came, he said, I am instituting the kingdom of God here on earth. From this time forward, the kingdom of God is here and is active all the more. And yet the kingdom of God also has future implications. There's an aspect of the kingdom of God to come. It has meaning for the end times when heaven and earth will be done away with and a new heaven and earth will be established and we will live with God. And so as we think about the kingdom of God, we think about doing his will. Thy will be done. And we join in with all those who have done his will for all time. Up to this time, we are connected with all those who have done the will of God. And we know that we alone are not only the ones doing the will of God, but there were all those who did the will of God, all those who suffered and were persecuted for God's sake. We join together with those saints in the Lord, and we are connected with all of God's people. And then ultimately, there will come a time when we will be in heaven, and we will be in the very presence of God, doing the very will of God together in heaven. And then Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want to point out daily and bread, okay? Because a lot of times we get caught up in, in daily and bread for the very specific meanings that we might have of those words. Jesus does want us to be concerned with today, but the daily doesn't mean just, just a moment in time now. I mean, each day, daily, God is going to take care of us. God is going to take care of us. God is there for us. And we say, God, I want to just focus on today. And I know you have all the days mapped out. All the days are in your sight. But for me, help me to focus on today. Right? Jesus said, tomorrow has, or today has enough worries about, of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. We don't even know if tomorrow is going to come. Focus on today. Give us this day our daily bread. And the word bread is, uh, can, mean, can mean our basic needs, right? Not just food, but the basic needs that we have. Jesus says, don't pray for what you want. Pray for what you need. I know what you need. You know what you need. Pray for what you need, and I'll give you what you need. A lot of times what you want is not what you need. How many times have our kids asked for something that they want, and we know that it's not what they need? As parents, what do we say? No, I'm not going to give you that because that's not what you need. That's not going to be good for you. Your five-year-old says, Mom, give me the keys to the car. I need to go to the store. No, I'm not going to give you the keys to the car. You're five years old. You're not going to drive the car. You may want to do that, but you don't need to do that. And that's not good for you to do, right? God says, I know your needs. Don't pray for what you want. Pray to me for what you need. Even more than the basic needs, of our physical sustenance is our spiritual sustenance as well, right? We are a body in our spirit, and we, our spirit needs to be connected to God. You know, we eat food, and then we get hungry, and we need to eat more food, right? Well, it's the same with our spirit. Our spirit needs to regularly be fed. Coming to church, reading the Bible, being in fellowship, singing praise, worshiping God, all of these things add to our spirit being connected with the spirit of God and that sustenance we need in our spirit. And so when we pray, give us 
This day, our daily bread, we are asking God, take care of all of my needs that I have today, physical and spiritual. God created us not for independence, but for dependence on him. Let me say that again. God created us not for independence, but for dependence on him. We live in a world that says, grow up and be independent. And there's truth to that, right? But we also need to be dependent on God. God is the one who will watch over us, who will care for our needs, who is able to take care of things that are beyond our control, beyond our power, beyond what we are capable of doing. God says, I got it. Don't worry about it. You do what you are called to do, and, and I'll take care of the rest. And then Jesus says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. See, t Jesus tells us to pray for forgiveness. But before we can pray for forgiveness, there's something that happens before that. And that is we have to understand that we are sinners, right? We have to understand that we have done wrong in our life. We have to understand that we are not perfect people. Because if you don't think there's sin in your life, then you don't need to ask for forgiveness for your sins. There's nothing to ask for forgiveness for. I haven't sinned, so there's no need for forgiveness. You have to admit, I have sinned, I have wrongdoing in my life, I have hurt people, I have done wrong, I need to be forgiven of that, Lord. And you go to the Lord and you say, I understand there's sin in my life, Lord, please forgive my sins. Only God, through Jesus Christ, can forgive our sins because of the penalty that has been paid by Jesus on the cross. But along with being forgiven, we need to forgive. In fact, this phrase reminds us that we will be forgiven in proportion to the amount we forgive. So if we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. And you're like, well, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? No, it's not harsh because forgiveness and forgiving are interconnected. If we don't know how to forgive others, we don't know how to receive forgiveness. We won't you know, I could say, oh, Victor, please forgive me. And he'll say, oh, I forgive you. And I'm like, oh, okay, He's, he forgot me. But I don't really appreciate his forgiveness. I don't really take it to heart. It doesn't really mean anything to me. And so when I have a chance to hurt him again, I might do it because I know he'll forgive me again, right? It doesn't mean anything. If we don't know how to forgive, we can't receive the forgiveness that God has for us. We must forgive. And God forgives us in proportion to how we forgive others. There really is an importance to this connection. In forgiving others, we learn how to stop judging others. And we learn to forget and to move forward. We don't hold on to that bitterness when we learn how to forgive. Only then can we receive the forgiveness that God has for us. And only then can we understand the depth of love it takes for God to forgive us. Jesus then says, lead us not into temptation. When we pray this, we're not asking God to take us into trials or temptations. We're not asking that. But we're asking God to be with us when those trials and temptations come. We're going to face trials and temptations in our life. And we ask God, God, be with us. Help us in those times of trial and temptation. We're praying for God to not lead us past the breaking point. We're praying that God will help us to trust and to cling to him so that we could stay faithful in those times of testing. We're praying that God would not overwhelm, that God would overwhelm us with his presence 
and give us his strength to live in the right way in the midst of trial and temptation. This is what the Lord teaches us to pray. And then he closes with this thought, but deliver us from evil. To overcome evil, we need help. We have to admit that we cannot heal the brokenness of our sin on our own. We have to understand that Christ is to be the king, the ruler of our lives, the one who gives us strength when we are feeling weak. To have an abundant life, we must overcome evil. And this overcoming of evil can only happen with the celebrating of the holiness of God, the celebrating of the intimacy that we have with God as we draw near and we set aside our will so that we can be in the will of God. The will of God that keeps us from that evil that is all around us. See, this closing petition should not surprise us because all you have to do is look around the world and you see evil everywhere, don't you? There is more evil than we even know or understand. There are things that are going on that we have no idea about. And yet there are many forms of evil that because we live in this world, we're not immune to that evil, are we? We see that evil. We are, we are shaped sometimes by that evil. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by that evil. Sometimes that evil comes into our life and impacts our life because we are just in this world. It's difficult because we're in this world experiencing the consequences of the evil around us. But this prayer reminds us that, that evil does not win. Victory is in Christ. Amen? See, the victory is in Christ. This prayer at the end, it reminds us that Jesus is the victor. And that in Jesus Christ, when we trust in God and when we walk in him, we will be victorious with Jesus. See, this world was created for us by God, but it is God's. And he is the one who is over all things. He is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one who has all the glory. And so we may re-remember these amazing teachings of Jesus, the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And when we try to think about these, these teachings this week and say to ourselves, how does that apply to my life? Maybe you want to pray the Lord's Prayer every day and just remember these aspects, these important themes in the Lord's Prayer that God brings into our life. Think about these Beatitudes and think about what characteristics do I need to have more of in my life so that I might truly live the life that God has for me and enjoy this life that God has given me. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let us pray.